Hello, darlings. It is I, Princess Weeks, coming at you to say that Tess and I are taking what we think is a well-deserved break for the next two weeks. We are going to rest, recoup, summon the dark spirits, really hot girl fall things. But do not fret. We still have some amazing geeky content to share. Here's an episode of the geek series Unlocked with the cast of Stranger Things, your faves. Please enjoy. I know I will. And see you in two weeks, my darlings. Welcome, everyone. I am Felicia Day, and this is Stranger Things Unlocked, where Netflix Geeked gives you an exclusive look into the shows you love. Today we're talking Season 4, Volume 2 of Stranger Things in an epic battle of 11 versus 1. Yeah, it's a lot of numbers, but I have a math degree, so I'm here to help you make sense of it. In today's adventure, we find out what's next in Season 5 and beyond from the Duffer Brothers. I hope this isn't spoiling too much. We are totally geeking out. We cover our heroes who venture back into the Upside Down. And yeah, not everyone makes it out alive. I just hope that she's able to do anything, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Millie Bobby Brown and her papa, Matthew Modine. Don't talk about Hopper in front of me. I don't like it. I know you don't. The most metal guitar solo ever streamed. I didn't think I'd ever be able to kind of fulfill this adolescent fantasy of being a rock star. And executive producer Sean Levy sits down to talk about bringing season four to screen. I remember reading it and going like, wait, we got choppers now? Wait, Eleven's taking down a chopper with mind? Sit back, relax, and let us control your mind from our studio, just like Eleven herself. Spoilers ahead. What better way to wrap our minds around the twists and turns of season four than a chat with our guests, the masterminds, the Duffer brothers, Matt and Ross. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Thanks for having us yeah. back. So let's get to it. Um, we end with Elle entering Max's mind and it looks like one is on the ropes, but that is not how things turn out. Can you talk us through that a little bit? <laughs> I mean, th th it was this season, we always wanted our Empire Strikes Back season. Um, we tried it a little bit with three, but this is this is kind of really doubling down on that idea of like, you know, at least three has a sad note. There's a sacrifice, but they've defeated the evil or at least pushed it back for a while. Whereas this one, we wanted them to actually lose. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted our characters to experience what that felt like. Um, and that was the yeah you know, that was the big idea really coming into four right was yeah that they, that they were going to lose that we were going to introduce the Vecna and that they were going to lose to him mm -hmm. that would be setting our characters up for what is going to be the ultimate final confrontation yeah. with Vecna with the Upside Down which is going to be season five so let's start with the origin of the Upside Down can yeah. you explain a little bit about what's going on there we do sort of set up the idea first in episode seven we talk about how it's in the past. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of it's sort of frozen in time, this time when Will was taken. And the questions as to why that is is still not. We haven't answered it yet. Right. It will be. It will be answered. <laughs> in, it will be answered in season five. But I do think we give some hints to what that answer is when we see what happens with Henry when he's in this when he's in this other world and he's seen Demogorgons marching around and he finds the mind flare in this other world. So we're starting to hint at what, what is going on here, but there's, the, there's, there's still answers to come. And I think the answers to what the Upside Down actually is mm -hmm. 
is really going to be the core of what season five is and the mysteries of season five. Oh, right. And those answers are really going to lead us to the conclusion of this story. Wow. I mean, we have so many characters, so many storylines going on. How do you choreograph all of these things going together? How do you track all the characters? Because even the smallest character has a character arc. And I'm just, I'm really fascinated. It's so much. And you keep a, adding characters. How I do you know, guys? I know. We need to stop. Uh, somebody no. needs to stop us. No, we're stopping. We're stopping. We're not adding any more characters in season five, I promise. No, it just, it, you know, we have a, we have a great writer's room and we just outline 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 i mean we just we really you know i i'm all about planning we're not free-flowing you know as we write we really yeah. try to as best as possible think about all of that ahead of time so you think about you know we knew where max was going to go we knew where um lucas was going to go we yeah. knew what you know the vecness henry storyline we knew that very early on right i mean not saying it doesn't evolve a little bit as we go and we're, we're learning as we go we knew L's trajectory for the story. So those are the earliest things that you talk about as you're talking about the season. And then you just try to make sure that you're tracking it. And then this season, we also had the benefit of there was a shutdown uh, due to the, the pandemic, COVID. And, you know, we were down for about six months. Mm -hmm. So for the first time ever, we were able to actually complete all of the scripts before shooting started and wow. then re-look re at them as a whole. And then fix any issues any er and make sure the characters were tracking from episode to episode if there was a if there was a character arc that was feeling a little bit light or incomplete we were able to go in and plug in those holes i mean th that was something that we just simply never have the time normally normally what happens is we write about four scripts three to four scripts and then we start shooting mm -hmm. and then we're kind of writing as we're going and there's a little bit though there's there's a plan Sometimes things slip through the cracks. So this season we had the luxury of a lot of extra time. So anyway, that's one of the benefits of four. It will never happen again. <laughs> hopefully, I hope it. Hopefully, it never happens again in terms of us having that amount of time. But um, it, 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 it was nice. It, it was nice that we were able to yeah. give every character their due um, in this season. That kind of detail, the little grace notes everyone has. It feels a complete. You yeah. know, a binge mm -hmm. feels like. One, although it's the longest binge in history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean there were little things like I mean even even little like these you know what we call a plant payoff or whatever like in terms of say you know we get to the finale and we didn't have the idea early on that Eddie was going to be you know playing Metallica on the roof of his trailer so that was an idea that came really at, right no I mean it wasn't it, that was one of our writers Curtis threw out that idea because we were trying to figure out how are they going to distract the demo bats and Curtis goes well he's you know what if what if he you know, plays Metallica. What if he's what if he's doing that? Um, you know, on the top of his trailer, and then they've they've set up all these speakers. We fell in love with that idea. We're like, we have to do that, but we hadn't really set him up as a guitarist, and we we set up that we knew that he was into that style of music, but we hadn't set him up in that way. We were able to then go back because none of this had been shot yet, and layer in the guitar, layer in his band. That scene with him and Chrissy, which is one of my favorite scenes which humanized him in a real way and humanized Chrissy in a real way was sort of a whatever scene. It was just a drug deal exchange scene. Mm -hmm. So that scene we were able to layer in, not just the fact that he has this band, we were able to humanize him. Yeah. So those are the kind of things that, that really got a lot better. And what about Max's horrifying death? Yeah. Right. Was there any possibility that she was going to die permanently or was it always kind of a, a, a comma? 
Uh, no, that it was discussed. It was discussed mm -hmm. as a possibility. Um, for and for a while, that is what was going to happen. And so, sort of, we we ended up in this uh, sort of more of a. We wanted to end it in a little bit more of a question mark at the end of the season, where it's still really dark, and we don't know if Max is going to be okay or. Or, or have what, eyeballs or what's yeah we don't we don't we don't really know i think and we wanted to leave it a little bit up and up in the air moving forward into season five and then we in and, and and i will say the other thing about the coma it's the coma that that idea that came as we were also in this extra half year that we had we went and broke season five. So That's season right. five, season five is, is is solved. And so the fact that she's in a coma, I can't really get into into the details. But it is important that she is. Wow. And that is gonna that is gonna have a major effect on five. So it's not a oh well you know a cheat. It's a it's incredibly relevant to five. Wow. What about the Mind Flayer drawing that was Henry? That was mm -hmm. another, whoo, did that come from the details or is that always an integral part of the arc setting up Henry as one in Flesh Vecta? Yeah, it was always something we wanted to make sure to get in there was to start to explain how all this works with the Mind Flayer. And, you know, we saw, you know, we saw the Mind Flayer talking through Billy in season three, but we never really knew until now where that, what that voice was and where it was coming from. And I think when you hear... Uh, Henry speaking, say, the end of episode seven or what he's talking to Eleven. We could reshape the world, remake it however we see fit. Join me. Hopefully people can see how the tone of that voice and the th types of things he's saying and the language he's using is very similar to what we had in, in season three with Billy. We've been building it. <laughs> We've been building it. For you. And so we really wanted to make sure we connected those dots. There are still, as we've said, there's still some question marks that we haven't, where we know the answer, but we just haven't filled it in yet mm -hmm. because we wanted to save some of that, some of those revelations for season five. Yeah, like Henry being redeemable. <laughs> is he really a bad seed? Or is there redemption that, I mean, there? Or is that a spoiler? That's the question. Okay. I mean, no, that's up in the air. I mean, listen, we've talked a lot about him. I think we yeah. have a pretty good pretty good understanding of him, um, us and our writers. I mean, we probably talked about him more than anybody else. We know his whole pre, you know, prequel story, if you'll call it, like we know, um, and, and we're gonna get, get into that, get into that in five. Yeah. And is there still any humanity left in him? That's a question. Speaking of characters who may or may not be dead or alive, right. we, you love to brutally murder people. <laughs> Uh, maybe not Max, but others. Uh, we have to talk about Eddie. He's yeah. living oh, out right. every metalhead's dream in <laughs> right. this epic guitar solo. Yes. It's so wonderful. We lost him too early. Yes. Can you talk about that character a little bit? Where did you come up with that character? Um, you know, really, when we were one of the first ideas we all had, us and our writers, when we were breaking this season, was to we wanted to get into the satanic right. panic stuff. And we've known this for a while because at the end of uh, end of season three, we talk about it briefly in the news report because so much bad stuff is going on in this town, and we know that satanic panic was happening around this time. So when we were started to talk about that in the writer's room, that we wanted that to be a part of the season because our kids play Dungeons and Dragons. And it led us to talking about Paradise Lost and the West Memphis Three and Damien Eccles. And we started to think about that of these kids who were essentially accused of something they didn't do simply because they didn't fit in and they were playing Dungeons and Dragons in, in with a gothic crowd. 
Eddie Munson, he's a part of that freak devil cult hellfire. And there was just a lot of paranoia. It turned out, of course, to be bogus, but people were scared back then uh, that these games and whatnot were, were turning kids bad and they couldn't they make believe was mixing with reality. And so we really wanted to play into that. And that's really where the Eddie character came from of let's what if we get a Damien Eccles type mm -hmm. into this story and what if he's accused of something that he had nothing yeah. to do with uh, and so that's really where where Eddie the character Eddie came from and then of course once we found Joe Quinn he just took Eddie to a whole other level and you know Matt's talking about the shutdown and that really helped we had worked with Joe at that point and we had seen what he could do and so we just went back and kept honing Eddie and we, I think you know I think he ended up in a really beautiful place and we're, we're sad to see him go. how did you bully him like that I, I, well it was the same thing it was a it was the similar feeling mm -hmm. to what happened in, when we were doing season two with Sean Astin where we he was supposed to die halfway through that season and we just kept pushing it because we didn't want him to die now this was different because we had all the scripts written ahead of time but it was a similar feeling and we fell in love with Eddie, we fell in love with Joe and what Joe was doing. I think everybody in the cast fell in love with him. And it was, you know, it was written. It was going to happen. And we knew we knew he had to die, but it was just, yeah, yes, I have some part. There's definitely a part of me that wishes he was still around for five. But I guess that's ultimately how you want to feel. Only, oh, I did want to add, Ross, one yes, thing about yeah. Eddie. And, you know, in terms of the creation of Eddie. And some of this had to do with, um, our writer, Curtis, again, who I think he was not involved in season two when we introduced Billy. And I think there was this sort there's this sort of cliche or stereotype of metalheads as bad boys, as bullies, as they're going to pull a knife on you, they're mm -hmm. going to whatever, as dangerous. Mm -hmm. But there was also what he was talking about. He was kind of a metalhead in, you know, in the 80s. His brother was all this. And there was actually th that subculture kind of w intersected with this nerd geek subculture it, they liked things such as D&D and we thought that was really interesting we're like okay that's a side of that character of that type of person which is a, you know a stereotypical metalhead right and that they also they love fantasy games they love um, they're nerds at heart right they just don't fit in and and so we like the fact that okay you take this character and I love the idea of him running D&D club which ultimately become Hellfire Club then that led into the Paradise Lost. Anyway, so we liked the idea, and we always like to do that. And we did that with Steve, obviously, which is you take a character, you take a stereotype. It's the John Hughes effect, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that we always talk about John Hughes, uh, the Breakfast Club thing, where you, you expect X of a character because of the way they look, because of what group or clique that they're in. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to know them, you realize they're not that at all. Steve Harrington is actually Good dude. And I think that's something we really want to try to do with the show. And we kind of wanted to do that with the metalhead. We wanted to show, no, that they're not all this. That's not, they're not, they're not Billy. A lot of them, in fact, are And if more we like actually Eddie. sat down and have conversations, whether it's, it's Chrissy and Eddie, people who never be seen together, it's like there's more in common there than you would ever Right, no, imagine. no. So it's not just about the, the, the nerds and the outsiders. It's also we wanted to humanize someone like Chrissy who's also also going to be judged by someone like Eddie, yeah. right? So I don't know. We like, um, we like doing that. You so many stereotypes. It's so refreshing.
Season 4 sees the show transition from sci-fi to horror. In fact, you even have Freddy Krueger himself, Robert right. Englund, playing yeah. Victor Creel, which is like the best cameo ever. Yes. Yeah, he's amazing. Were you so excited? Was he your ideal? Like, was um, Yeah, I mean, well, he just, I, I would have never even thought to ask him. I wouldn't have thought he would have done it. And then he just sent in a tape. Like suddenly, like we were, we were just looking at actors to play Victor Creel. Yeah. And then suddenly there was a tape of Robert England like lying in a bathtub. Just like saying just these lines. pouring his heart out into the scene, saying the lines. And I was just like, this is incredible. I wow. can't believe this is happening. And then, yeah, to have him on set, I wore my Dream Warrior shirt to set and like just talked to him a little bit about, you know, Freddy Krueger. And he, he likes talking about you know, Freddy in the Nightmare series. So it wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I was bothering him. So, but beyond that, he's just amazing in in this show and in, in that particular episode. He's just a great performer. He's a, and I honestly, I wish we had thought about it before, but we're so lucky that he sent it in because the minute he did, we just, we were just jumping. You were geeking out your So it wasn't our idea, it was Robert's idea. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's which amazing. is really, that's the truth. We were it. totally geeking out. Oh, uh, wow. We were just so excited. The Duffers will be back a bit later, but up next. These Hawkins students are getting extra credit for participating in this interview outside of school. Please welcome back to the Unlocked stage, Finn Wolfarth, AKA Mike, who finally drops the L-bomb to L. Gaten Matarazzo as Dustin, always a man with a plan. Priya Ferguson as fearless playground watchwoman, Erica. Sadie Sink, who really rides that emotional roller coaster as Max, whoa. And Caleb McLaughlin as Lucas, who braves the attic attack. So let's start with you, Sadie. To say Max had it rough this season is an understatement of the year. Um, let's take a look at what happens to her in the finale. Oh, really? Sadie, this is so emotionally and physically difficult, I can imagine. Uh, can you talk about what it was like to film it? Because you've already gone through the ringer in the first part. In the second part, you're even more wrong. Yeah. The, I, for the, la the last... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last two episodes especially were, like, kind of insane. Um, but, yeah, I've never seen that. So that's I'm, not, I'm shocked. Yeah. yeah. Um no, but I mean, kind of, I feel like I'm in this position for like half of season four. Um, <laughs> what were your thoughts when you read that scene? Yeah. I know like maybe like two weeks before I was like, I looked to make sure, like, okay, oh, I have to do this? Like, I think I definitely prepared for this because it was a sequence that I had to like rehearse. Yeah. And I had to understand what was going on. So I feel like, I just don't remember reading it. I don't know why, but I remember knowing that I had to do it. Mm -hmm. And I prepared for it mentally. It was a long day. It was I, a long week, actually. Yeah, because also like the attic fight happens before yeah, that. Yeah, which is insane. I mean, that yeah. took a while. That did. How so. did you feel watching it? Was it completely like you thought? Or was it, is it always a surprise to see it when it's finished? Like what yeah, is actually yeah. happening? You yeah. know what it is? I think when you're in the moment, when you, okay, you know, okay, I have to do this, right? But then when you see like David, then Gaten, 
and um, who else was in there? Joe that, Quinn. Joe. Joe yeah. And then like Sadie, you're not there in their shot. You're not there when they're filming, but when you see it all put in one, it gives me chills. It was crazy. It's mm-hmm. actually crazy to see because when you're like standing there, like that scene when you just see my face, that was like the last shot. I was just like, they told me to scream and like say no. Right? And I'm just like, ah. I'm like, oh my god, my throat. But then when you see it all come together, it's like, oh, it was worth it. It was like, wow, that's why we're doing this. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, Sadie, what do you hope for Max in the next season? Because we. It's a lot. It's, it ends with a lot. What do you hope? Do you just hope for a vacation? A, a Manny Petty? What? I just hope that she's able to do anything, I guess. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah I, have no, I have no clue like, what is going on just with her. Yeah, we don't even know you. Do you have eyebrows? Do we know? I don't know. Yeah, what's going on there? Uh, Um, But I don't know. Hopefully, she's you know, out of the hospital. Yeah, she's doing well. (laughs) Out of the full body cast, (laughs) that would be great. Uh, Finn, what what were your thoughts when you saw that clip? Oh, I totally got like yeah, like Caleb said, I totally got chills. That shot of Joe Quinn like dying is like so (laughs) sad. That's like the saddest thing. Well, also that. Like, going off of Caleb's thing, like, it is true, like, because we shoot for so many months and it's, like, such a long process, like, there sometimes can be scenes where, like, yeah, you don't know how it's going to pan out, or you don't understand it in the moment, and you're just like, what, what am I doing? Yeah, you're just like, or just like, what am I doing right now? Like, you know, you just have, like, questions sometimes, and then, yeah, once you see it, it's like, oh, that was so worth it. If you shoot a show for that long and you're, like, in the moment, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen, and then it comes out and it's good, it's, it's like you don't remember any feeling of, like you just, I don't know, it becomes a different, its own that thing. That in yeah. between before you see it and after you've done it is just like, hope it's good, I hope it's good. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> Gaden, yeah. what did you think when you read or saw uh, Max's death and then resurrection? What were your thoughts on that plot point? Because it is very dramatic. <laughs> hella confused initially. Yeah, for real, seriously. I mean, I was like, they're not killing you off. I was like, that's dumb. And because I, I would assume that like, like well, you knowing like before you show up that bef- you were gonna they die. They warned or me before like they sent out the ninth episode and they were like, all right, Sadie, it's gonna look like you die, okay. but you come <laughs> back. I'm like, all right. And you were very relieved, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Woo. Priya, what did you think about that uh, plot twist in a way? I was definitely confused. Um, I got chills even like watching it. I was like like wow like you know this is really happening yeah i don't know i'm like still mind blown from watching it because filming it and shooting it is so different like when you're when you're shooting it you can't really you get what they're trying to do but you don't really have the the visual effects and you can't really see it um so just watching it it's kind of like wow like and watching it like these guys said watching it all come to life. It's it's crazy. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of like a magic trick or something. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, Look over there. It's, it's a monster. And we're like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're like, I hope that works. Right. <laughs> and then and then they edit it, and it's like all we're, we're, we all forget right. we're even in it. We're like, oh, like it's like so yeah. ridiculous. I become like fan a fanboy every time totally. the show comes out. I text her, I love your work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ian, I love you. <laughs> I want to be your friend. You have, you have a fan yeah. account. <laughs> Yeah. I heart Gaten Wayne. I don't I think it's cre- creating the intensity on set. Yeah. It's like, but when you see it, it's like, oh, of course, why wouldn't you be scared? But like on set, 
you have like everyone like doing their thing, just chilling, like looking at their phone. Oh, my wife texting me, I'd be home at this time. Like, and then you're like, oh, I have to act like um, Max is dying. And it's like, you're, sorry, your wife texted you? you have no, to be I'm making, no, no, I'm just making up a random person. Just that would just be that, that, that's story. The, No, but that's the reveal is that Kayla was a wife. That's how we find right out. Right here. Right here, you heard it here. They say distance makes the heart grow fonder, and that feels particularly true for Mike and Elle, who sometimes aren't even in the same dimension. But the relationship was certainly put to the test this season. Let's take a look. Oh, another one. I love the looks. Elle, I don't know if you can hear this, but if you can, I want you to know I'm here, okay? I'm right here. And I love you. Elle, do you hear me? I love you. I'm sorry I don't say it more. It's not because I'm scared of you. I'm not. I, I've never felt that way. Never. I love you on your good days. I love you on your bad days. I love you with your powers. I love you without your powers. I love you for exactly who you are. You're my superhero. And I can't lose you. Okay? Do you hear me? I can't lose you. You can do anything. You can fly. You can move mountains. I believe that. I really do. But right now, you just have to fight. Okay? Help. Do you hear me? You need to fight. Oh, chills. Man. Such an amazing thing. They didn't warn you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, like you're hey, showing us, huh? <laughs> yeah, literally, that, <laughs> was, the biggest, that was like the That's scene. So, it's so good, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, you should be really. Pr I mean, it's it's riveting. Mountains. Yeah, it's, it's very. It's almost like notebooky in, a, in the best. <laughs> way. What do you want? What do you want? Do you want? Man, what did it feel like to film the scene after all these years of a relationship with Elle? It was great. It was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that was like the scene where like the Duffers kind of like. Uh, were telling me kind of even near the beginning that they were like writing a big monologue for me for the end. Uh, and I think they were really excited about like the just the idea of me having like a and like professing my love finally kind of to eleven and yeah that was like I, we didn't do that a lot like we did it in a few takes and like I was like super scared about it so I like ran it in my head over and over again and I was I like wanted to be like as off book as I could so yeah it was great I remember that like. I did it a few times and like we did it, like the Duffers like they're like do this one more emotional or you know do it more confident we just kind of did it a few different times and like I remember they were like add add whatever you want there was like the last take and they're like add whatever you want and so that like you're my superhero line I just like added um it's like but, improv or whatever. It's like improv. Yeah, improv. Just genius. A little genius coming out. It's a genius line. Genius. I don't know. It's like ad libbed or whatever. That whole thing is ad libbed. <laughs> I make it. This whole season's it. ad libbed, by the way. It was just so funny because like across from me is Charlie and and Eduardo and like they're just watching it. <laughs> so like I I would say that and then I'd look and I'd finish my monologue and I'd look up and Eduardo would be like, like looking right at me and Charlie would be like, and they'd be like cut and I'd be like, cool and they'd be like. 
And Charlie would be like, that was really good, man. And then Eduardo would be like, and then would be like what? Like, what's going on? Like, he'd be fully spaced out. It was so funny, because it was such a long one take thing. Oh, it's so good. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was yeah. really fun to do It has that. such impact. It really, it, it really pays off so many Thank seasons you. of Texas, yeah, really. Um, heading into the final season, what's one thing you still have questions about that you hope get resolved by the end of the series? Let's start with you, Sadie. I feel like season four, we got a decent amount of questions answered, just in terms of like, what is the upside down? How did it come about? Who was one? Who was Vecna? But for the end of season four, I don't know. You're in a much darker place. Like there's no like light at the end of the tunnel. Like it's all like they lost essentially. So I guess just how will Hawkins respond yeah. to the you know like the tragedy and the ruin and the apocalypse? Yes, exactly. Bri, what do you hope for Erica next season? Yeah. Um, I definitely agree. It was such like <clears throat> an emotional season towards the end, and I definitely want to know like how not even Erica, but how Hawkins will kind of recover and the cast as well. Caden, yeah. how are you going to adjust to Eddie being gone? Yeah, um, I don't know. I think like throughout most of the most of the show, all the show, that uh, I think a defense mechanism for uh, a lot of people, I think many people in the show, but especially Dustin, is to try to find something tangible, something funny, something light, something enjoyable in all of this in the weirdest, darkest, twisted way. But now that it was kind of right in front of him in a weird way, it's mm -hmm. like, not that he hasn't experienced it before, but to have something like that happen, not just like to him, but there in front of him. I think it's going to be rough for him to try to find a a light at the end of the so tunnel sorry. or try to find something yeah. bright there. So I, I think I just want to see a fight to preserve something that was there that will always be lost now because of what he's seen. Yeah. Finn, where do you think Elle and you are going to go? Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm really interested. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested, like, for kind of the end of the show kind of in general because, like, it's kind of like the Harry Potter effect where it's like you can't, you have to leave Hogwarts. You know, some people mm -hmm. have to leave Hawkins. Who's going to stay in Hawkins? Who's going to leave? Who's going to try to find a life outside? Yeah. Is there going to be a Hawkins? Yeah, is there going to be a Is there even going to be a Hawkins? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, I'd be interested to see, like, if Mike... I mean, I'd be interested to see if Mike stays in Hawkins or tries to find a life outside of his town and also... You know, it's hard to tell, like, obviously with Eleven and his relationship. Mm -hmm. But I hope they uh, they find, you know, happiness. I don't yeah. really know. Okay, then what is Lucas's happy ending? Where do you see yourself? Okay, Lucas's happy ending. Um, I feel like Lucas's happy ending is that if none of this happened, right? You know, so it's kind of what could he deal with or what... It's kind of like he has to adjust to whatever happens, honestly. Um, I feel like, of course, like Max being well and coming up out of, you know, wherever she's in. Do you think him. Lucas is going to stay on the basketball team? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I wouldn't even want Lucas to stay on the basketball His team. His whole basketball team is dead. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, boy. And on that That's, uplifting note, it's yeah. about time I let you go fight some more demo dogs. Thank you. Bats, whatever. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Next up, Millie Bobby Brown and her papa. Matthew Modine. You're sick. You're sick, but I'm going to make you better. I'm going to take you back home where I can make you well again. Where we can make all of this better. So no one else gets hurt. 
Hi Felicia, it's Millie and Modine here. Thanks for having me back on Stranger Things Unlocked. We're looking forward to talking to you about Elle and Dr. Brenner's complicated relationship this season. Papa. Daughter. I, I certainly didn't imagine uh, Dr. Brenner uh, resorting to the kind of behavior I don't want to say cruelty, but there's no better word to sort of describe uh, his behavior than cruelty toward the, the young adults in his laboratory. That was a surprise for me. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know that he was that cruel. Did you? Um, and no, I didn't really see it as cruel, though. I think it's just... It, it, like you say, we, we were in such a complicated situation and in a way you're protecting them, mm -hmm. showing them what they're mm -hmm. capable of mm -hmm. and how to control it. I guess I was talking specifically about... Me and you. Well, prodding that young boy with the... Oh, yeah. The... Well, he deserved it. I'm going to take this one because yeah. he's going to need a few minutes. My revelation would yeah. have probably been kind of not forgiving Papa. It was kind of like, mm. whoa, like mm. this is what we're resulting in. This is the conclusion of that relationship and she's not forgiving him. Mm. It was a big revelation of, of who Eleven is and yeah. where does she go from there with that kind of coldness yeah you know it, it's kind of very much a dr browner move that she pulled she did yeah she did it's hard it's really hard we actually went on a 45 minute walk that day do you remember yeah took us really long we walked to set from base camp yeah. it was 45 minutes in the yeah. <laughs> middle of the desert yeah we walked because we were really sad that day it was a very sad day for us both you know, I, I, I honestly love Millie Bobby Brown. I, I feel paternal toward her and, and, and um, you know, I, I, I know that what I said in the scene, Matthew Modine, is the same thing as that Dr. Browner said, that, that everything that I've done with Millie was the, the best I could for her, for her good, for your for your life, mm -hmm. and and so that's truthful, you know. It's a truthful emotion, and uh, uh, I think the Duffer brothers n n know that and mm -hmm. knew that, and they, so those were the the words the, chosen. Yeah. 
that like we you know we talk about father and daughter and finding her autonomy and I obviously didn't want to necessarily leave papa and you don't ever really want to leave your dad but you have to to find that autonomy within your life and not listen to men and, and really strive to be a woman finally how far papa farther than we've ever gone before she's thinking about her childhood and everything she was raised by him you know everything that she knew was Yes. Papa, he taught her everything um, in order how to, you know, channel her emotions, okay. channel her anger, channel her powers, how to control them, how to provoke them, how to, you know, to keep them suppressed. Everything that, that she knows is from him. I think that when you say goodbye to that huge majority of your life, because a new one has to start... It's, it's a huge transition. I think it's, it's, I think she was just kind of thinking about her childhood and what a 30 second scene and how does she walk away from this hmm. feeling empowered? Well, I, I've said from the beginning when we were, began working on the show that, that, you know, you don't believe that you're doing something that's evil. You're doing something that you think uh, is going to be beneficial. And Obviously, what he'd found with the character Eleven was somebody who had incredible gifts and, uh, and love. I often thought about the experiment with the cat, you know, when he cr she crushes the Coke can, that in some weird way in Brenner's imagination, that by putting the cat in the room was a kind of test that would she crush the cat? Was she capable of that? And she wasn't. And so for me, I always felt that she passed the test, mm. you know, that, that she had compassion, that she had love. And so when she escaped from the laboratory, what my concern and my fear was, what I know how powerful she is. What happens if she gets in the hands of someone that's truly evil, that will take her and exploit her to do things that are bad? So that, that was my motivation as an actor to find her to try to make sure that she wouldn't uh, do harm, you know, even though I knew that in her heart that she, she had passed the test, she didn't crush the cat. Don't talk about Hopper in front of me. I don't like it. I know you don't, I know you don't. Right. I'll, I'll make it, I'll make it. I go, no, 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 no. I think they're very two different relationships, very two, uh, masculine energies that are in <laughs> Eleven's life, including Mike. They're very influential in her life. Um, one of them, Hopper, being someone who took care of her, protected her, and they had they have a you know a friendship, a friendship that's that they've that they've created um, while Eleven's been out of the asylum and and kind of needed protection and needed that love and support and he gave that to her but the on the other hand you have papa and eleven who he knew her from baby he took her out of you know my mother's arms yeah delivered, so, delivered that child yeah so it's kind of like there's no bond like that there's no connection that she could yearn for more than the one that she has with papa because that's the most authentic. He knew her her purest form. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. 
The other guy drinks too much coffee and eats too much donuts. He's probably got a drinking problem, so smoking, you know. That, you know. Then there's Dr. Brown. Yeah. What are you going to do? She could never forget the smell of my aftershave. No. Or the I'm, way that I tied a knot on my tie. Right, that exactly. These were indelible experiences and, no, and sen- sensory experience in our And I life. loved the traumas of, you know, crushing cats yeah. and things. The cleanliness of the hospital. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, I it mean, always smelled like bleach. Yeah. yeah, his cabin probably smelled like dead gophers. Yes, it did. Yeah. And old beer. <laughs> hey, Felicia, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been a great, enjoyable experience. Mwah. Lots of love. Bye, Felicia. While L is fighting Vecna psychically, our next guests are actually breaking into Upside Down to face him head on. Say hello to our Hawkins heroes, Joe Quinn, joining the cast this year as Eddie Munson, Maya Hawk, whose Robin might be more nervous around her crush Vicky than around Vecna, <laughs> and Joe Keery, aka Steve Harrington, with the great hair. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Um, so you three decide to go back into the Upside Down All right. with Nancy to face this new oh. monster head on. Why are those always your character's first reactions to just plunge into danger? You gotta bring it up with the Duffers. I'm constantly like, why have these people not left? <laughs> what is the deal? <laughs> Wake up, That's you cool. idiots, yeah. leave. <laughs> uh, you know, we're the Scooby-Doo gang and we gotta, we gotta solve the mystery. Yeah. What do you think um, motivates your character? I mean, obviously you're not just blindly going into danger. Nobody does that. What do you think is the biggest thing that your character's overcoming when you go into these situations? The actors are always talking about, our, so like we're like really scared. I mean, like something horrible just happened, right? So like we should be upset. And they're like, nah, like, like you're pretty confident. Like, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, you're scared, but like really go for it, you know? And so I don't, I think it's actually a stylistic part of the show, I, I think that there's not, there's a, and it's why I think the show is so fun to watch even though so many bad things happen, is there's a, a levity and a bounciness to these characters mm-hmm. where they kind of, even after every hard thing that happens, they, their, their courage reinvigorates itself mm-hmm. and they find humor and they, they fill back up with energy. And, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, I remember there were all these moments where you get horribly, horribly injured all the time. And you're just sort of like, nah, like it hurts for a minute. And then you're like ready to go yeah, do I, stuff. I, yeah, I know what you're saying. Like the tone of the show really is that levity, the bounciness that you're talking about. And the fact that it's like this kind of, we all have a chip on our shoulder. It's like this, these, this terrible circumstance, these terrible things are happening, we're all able to kind of handle it with a smile and a laugh, sort of. Yeah. And I think it's a quite difficult line to tread from a direct, from a directing perspective, not that I, I know, but to kind of maintain this kind of charm through horrific circumstances is um, quite good. Yeah, also that everybody's on the same page. It really is kind of, I, I guess I hadn't thought about it that way, but it's, it's I mean, I would, good that we all get it. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine that it gets a little fatiguing. You're always scared, like always having a scene where you're scared and you're just going to that same emotional well and having that levity not only deepens the character's relationships, mm-hmm. but really makes you get through those moments and not feel like it's the same tone every episode, right? I also yeah. think they just really love each other um, in whatever, like, that's not a word that like they use a lot, but I think there are these moments where one person makes a decision to put themselves in danger for the sake of the rest of the group. And I mean, that happens all over the show. And everyone is pretty committed 
to this idea that's like, if you go down, I'll go down. Kind of like, I'd rather go out fighting. And I think loyalty like that really helps with bravery um, and helps people feel strong and emboldened to, to, to take on monsters. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, Joe, can we talk about the season's most kick-ass moment, I think, and that thing back there, the guitar? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool, right? It's, yeah. It's, it's, uh, uh, so that's not the original. That's in the stomach of a demo bat. But did you know that they're going to make a replica of that and sell it? I didn't know that. Are you prepared to sign Well, I a kind of wanted of it. They At the end, I kind of asked if I could have it, and they, um, yeah, ignored me. Really. Well, I won't. I wouldn't notice if you walked off with it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Hopefully, they can arrange to get you at least one of the replicas because it really is a kick-ass moment. Can you talk about that scene? Yeah. Um, oh, I remember reading it um, and thinking, well, I was. It was kind of confusing because I was gutted that I was not going to be able to come back and work with these people again um, because we had such a great time. Um, but if it, there's a way to go out, it's a pretty good one. Well, know. let's take a look at your concert in the no Upside way. Down, you shall we? Ah! Oh, yeah. So it didn't feel that epic when you were filming it, huh? It kind of, well, it was great kind of being on top of the the thing with Gaten and kind of getting into it. It was great fun. Dude, most metal ever! I didn't think I'd ever be able to kind of fulfill this kind of quite adolescent fantasy of being a rock star, albeit, albeit for like maybe just an afternoon, but it was great fun. I remember just finding it so fun. It's it, as a concept, like to come for them to come up with that is kind of, yeah. I guess that's what we were kind of talking about earlier. It's kind of the, the stakes are so high and you feel them as an audience member, but to have that kind of absurdity and that levity in it kind of really, it's just, it makes for great viewing. Are you ready for the most metal concert in the history of the world? Do you actually play guitar? Did you have to study? Or how did you prepare for just the sheer mechanics of it? Well, I did play, yeah, as a kid. So I kind of had a foundation there. Um, so like most, most, most of it's me. We had this very, very talented guitarist called Aiden, I believe his name was, to come in to do the solo. Oh. Um, but the other, other than that, it was, um, yeah, I had, a, I, I had a bash at it. It was amazing. It's truly, you get chills. And it makes me like metal, which is not my favorite. Hey. Uh, Eddie goes from hiding most of the series to suddenly doing this amazing heroic act, not only here, but later. What do you think changed in him over the season to get him to the point where he was able to step up like that? Um, well, that's a really good question. I don't know. I think it's probably, uh, he's probably inspired by the, by the other people's bravery. There's a scene kind of, we have a scene together where I kind of talk, where Eddie talks about 
being scared to come into the upside down and he, the only reason he wants to go in there is because everyone else did so i think mm. kind of he's emboldened by kind of these acts of heroism that he keeps seeing um but ultimately he does yeah he kind of pays the ultimate price i guess you could say um because that's i don't know he just he's a brave boy thank you so much for being here i really appreciate your sitting down with me thank, thank you. you thanks so much thank you Oh, he's taking it. Wait, what's he doing? Yeah, he took it. Um, security? Next, executive producer Sean Levy sits down to talk about bringing season four to screen. Hey there, Felicia. Sean Levy here. I am thrilled to be back with you on Unlocked. I hope everyone sufficiently recovered from that epic finale to Stranger Things 4 and excited to unpack all of it with you. The first thing that I think people don't realize is it wasn't even supposed to be called the Upside Down. It was always, from the Duffer's earliest ideas, this kind of corrupted version of reality. In season one, and definitely in the outlines of season one, it was called the Nether. The Nether was this other dimension that kind of existed alongside our own, and it looked like our own world, but it was really messed up. Uh, a character refers to it as the Upside Down, and that name stuck. And so now, here we are years later, I don't know if there's anyone on planet Earth who hasn't heard of the Upside Down, uh, but it was never supposed to be called that. I don't think I ever had a sense that the show would go so beyond Hawkins. And that's really been the challenge of season four, but I think one of the unique aspects of season four is the way that we've kind of trifurcated the narrative, that we have our Hawkins storyline, we have the Russia storyline, we have the California storyline, and that is really what gave season four this unique scope and wingspan, right? Obviously, I like the big moments, the final battles in episode eight. Uh, my God, the ending of episode eight. I love the scale and spectacle that we were able to bring to life. But I also love the moments between Max and Lucas, between Eddie and Dustin, these tiny, intimate character moments between Steve and Robin, these moments that are surprising, that are quiet, and they're just emotional, they're just human. And again, it goes back to what I think is, is the key to Stranger Things, which is, yeah, we go huge, but it's always rooted in character and rooted in heart. And some of my favorite moments are the ones that commit to that. Another favorite moment, end of episode eight, 11, taking down that chopper. 11 taking down that chopper. I remember reading it and going like, wait, we got choppers now? Wait, 11's taking down a chopper with her mind? And I remember the outline. And when I first watched the first edit from the Duffers, that sequence in the desert where Eleven has that reclamation moment, that return to greatness, I felt it in my soul. That's one of my favorite Stranger Things moments of all time. The truth is that I am way less of a horror genre nerd than the Duffer Brothers. So um, it was up to me. I shot some of the earliest sequence at the Creel House and I was kind of going off of like Haunted Mansion, like the ride 
at Disneyland, because I haven't watched that much horror. I don't enjoy it. I find it a little scary. Um, but the truth is that the Duffers, uh, they gave me like the required viewing list in addition to a music playlist. So I just, before shooting the Creel House, I did have my Disney ride you know, memories, uh, but I also had the kind of mandatory must-watch list and must-listen list from Matt and Ross, and that gave me kind of a good crash course in horror, haunted house fluency. What I love about Stranger Things and our audience is that we've grown together. Our actors have grown up, the scale of our show, and the abilities we have as storytellers have grown every year, and yet, we're always true to that core DNA, which is these characters that you root for and these relationships that we champion on screen. And so if we can stick the landing, if we can do season five and tell this huge story that remains ahead, but do it in a way that's honest to the heart and the characters, then we've really pulled something off. So stay tuned for what's ahead. We're closing out our show with another visit from the Duffers to talk all things season five. You know, what's interesting about season five as we move into season five is it's gonna be unlike any other season in, in terms of typically the, the tension has been resolved mm -hmm. at the end of a season. Everything has to, you, you get to experience our, our characters in their everyday life. And then, you know, and then they start to get pulled back as evil returns. In this case, that's not what's happening. I mean, we're starting season five and things are already very it's bad. Going. It's going. Yeah. So it's it, four and five are gonna like sit t together really well, I, I hope, you know what I mean? It's, it's I mean, there's gonna be a time passage, obviously, because there's gonna have to be, yeah. but not much. But yeah, like Matt said, I mean, and again, we've done a lot of work on five and we know where it begins and you just start basically with a sprint, which is just so different than anything we've done before. Is there anything else that you could kind of set up for season five without spoiling everybody? Without spoiling five? Yeah. Um, no, I think I think you're going to see what I, I I know in the way that Max was impacted by three, and that impacted her narrative in 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 four. Dustin's yeah, been a hero. impacted a lot by the death of Eddie, mm -hmm. and that's going to really affect his his storyline in five. And I think we're going to see a side of Dustin we haven't seen before. That's for sure. Huh. Um, well, like all good things, Stranger Things must also come to an end, as you've always planned. Yes. You have planned season five to be the last. Mm -hmm. I'm just right. hoping. I don't know. <laughs> Is it going to be double the length of season four? No, Are we going to have 55 no. spin no. Like, what's going on? Well, um, I don't know if it'll... I, I, I'm not sure it'll be as long as four um, because, like Matt's saying, the, the big difference is that we're not... We're just starting with a sprint. And so I think naturally the season will be shorter because there's the ramp up to our characters taking action. Mm -hmm. They're going after Vecna from minute one. And so I think that is gonna inevitably make it not not this long, but we do have a lot to do both in terms of a few more revelations that need to happen. And then also we need to make sure that we give our characters that hopefully people have grown to care about time to sort of make these final, you know, final arcs. Whether yeah, we, it is Joyce and Hopper, whether it's uh, Jonathan Nancy, which is very unre not resolved yeah, yet. Yeah, what's really. going on with that triangle? Well, exactly. a lot of it, though, we want. I hope this isn't spoiling too much. Okay. But if it is, they'll cut, cut it out. cut it out. But like the idea of kind of going back to season one, I want to see the the original groups back together. 
So I, I, you know, I want to see the boys plus eleven. I want to see, um, you know, you know, jo Joyce and Hopper. I want to see Jonathan and Nancy. So there's a lot. That's to me, it's something that we want to do. So it's going to be feel very different. It's going to feel very big. It'll be like season one, you know, on steroids or something. Yeah. It's well, sort of I, I just want to request yeah. that Max gets a spa day. Just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she deserves. They all deserve it. They all deserve a little break, but unfortunately, yeah, that this is going to take a second. It's going to take a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me. You two have created an iconic show that's going to be watched for generations, oh. and I'm sure that's a, a little bit weird to feel because you're just <laughs> <I know>. working. <laughs> right. But yeah, it's a wonderful homage to everything, and <laughs> just is a gift to nerds everywhere. So thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much. So fun. Thanks. Well, this has been so much fun getting to hang with the cast and the crew of Stranger Things. Thank you so much for joining us. We cannot wait to see what's in store for season five. But to tide you over, there's more Unlocked on the way. Yay! We'll see you in August where we catch up with the cast of The Sandman. <laughs> yes. Until then, bye bye, bochachos.